Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is guitarist Rez Abasi from his new album Things to Come. On Sunnyside Records, here's the title track. My guest is guitarist and composer Rez Abasi. His new CD on Sunnyside Records is called Things to Come. Rez, it's uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. A lot of the the reading that I did to get ready for this uh, interview mentions kind of an emerging uh, Indian-Pakistani jazz scene and and kind of refers to a a sound or a a way of playing that seems to be emerging from South Asian players uh, who are playing improvised music. I guess, first of all, do you think a scene like that exists? And if it does, do you feel like you're uh, a part of it? Now, where did you read that? Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, I mean, there is a scene that exists, but I don't think anybody's trying to make it exist. It just exists. You know what I mean? It's it's sort of like there are a handful of uh, Indian Pakistani jazz musicians. Actually, not that many Pakistanis. There's mostly Indians out here uh, in New York, at least um, that I've come across. And uh, you know, we are jazz musicians first and foremost. Uh, and but. With jazz, I think the best results come from you know sort of placing your whole being inside of the music rather than uh, sort of what's what's uh, sort of more overt. Uh, if you go into your subconscious, you know, then you you might sort of relay uh, some experiences that that uh, might not might not be present in your conscious. 
So I think, you know, the, the Indian, I think that's what I, at least I can speak for myself, that's what I've done uh, over the years listening to this music and uh, Indian music and, and also playing jazz. I think it's kind of, uh, is, is the best choice to put that in the forefront. And I think uh, a few of us are making that choice. Um, and that creates a scene, you know, but it's not like some, uh, you know, scene and, and that's not integrated uh, with the rest of the scene. Is there, I don't know if uh, you can tell me if this is a stupid question, but is there is there pressure to create music that kind of overtly incorporates your ethnic heritage? I mean, would do people listen to this record and say, hey, where's the tabla? You can't be a South Asian musician. I mean, that, is, there, uh, is there a need to kind of uh, have overt homages to what's in your past? Uh, um, do you feel that need? No, I don't feel that need. I, I, it's, it's a delicate uh, line there because uh, if you don't know anything about, uh, let's say, Indian music, which you know, which most people don't really, and it's fine. Uh, they might not hear anything Indian in, on this record, except for you know, my wife, who's uh, Kiran Alawalia. She sings on the record, and she's you know, pretty much purely an Indian. Uh, musician, she's the only non-jazz musician on the record. Uh, so that's you know that's let's say if you lack a better word o- overt, that's pretty much right up there. But uh, the rest of the rest of the people and and the compositions themselves aren't really uh, meant to be overtly Indian. They're 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 again, it, it's it's sort of something that stemmed from my subconscious mind where and my intuition where you know growing up uh, in a household surrounded by let's say, my father singing uh, guzzle music and, uh, you know, my uncle playing this flute that comes from Pakistan. You know, these, are the, these are the experiences I had when I was young, and I'm not saying those are just directly into my, you know, uh, finding themselves into my music, but that, along with studying the, the music, seeps through uh, in, in sort of an, uh, in an earthy fashion, organic fashion. At least that's what I strive for. So by... You know, by placing a tabla, like you mentioned, or uh, these instruments that actually have the sonority of India within them, uh, I don't mind that either. I've done that on two of my uh, previous recordings, and uh, it all it all depends on what the composer's uh, ideas and and, and uh, sort of uh, focus is on. Yeah. And uh, if if there's a tabla necessary, well, then I'll put it in. But if if I have someone like Dan Weiss on the record, who's also a great double player, but he's a great drummer, um, he's going to inject those kind of rhythms in there anyway. So I don't need to make it like uh, sound like a double. It could be on the drum set, and I can hear hear it. And there's plenty of points on the record that all these guys, uh, Rudresh, uh, Vijay, uh, Johannes, uh, collectively, we all you know have areas on the record that, that that are definitely stemming from indian musical elements uh they're not all uh, uh let's say simply jazz um, but if you don't know what indian elements are then you're not going to hear it as that you know what i mean
you kind of anticipated my next question, which was to to say, or maybe my next statement, to say that it seems to me that uh, if any place, the place where some of the more non-traditional jazz elements make their way is through the the rhythmic component of the music. I mean, this this band really seems to excel and really have a, a fun time playing complex melodic and rhythmic lines, and without making them sound complex. Is that is that kind of part of of how the band operates? It sounds like it's a lot of fun. To play. Um, yeah, that is part of the way the band operates, but it's also part of the again the, the compositions. Uh, you know, one of the one of the keys to a sort of a, a fulfilling hybrid type of music uh, for me, I think I think is first is simplicity, but also to to do what you just said. It doesn't really sound complicated. It doesn't sound necessarily like a hybrid, but there's subtlety in there, and that is what I think I'm, I, I really churned out with these uh, compositions is there, there there are definitely Indian elements there are you know there's as many uh, 20th century orchestral elements as there are Indian elements as you know there are uh, jazz elements but it's all subtle it's a subtle weave and uh, that's to me that's progression in, in, in the right direction you know and uh, I think the band uh, on top of that I mean they're all versed in, in in both Indian music and jazz, so <clears throat> in that sense, it makes it easier uh, as a composer to know that it's going to you know come out as as a full statement. You uh, you mentioned them all quickly a moment ago, but will you just uh, take a few minutes and talk about the members of your band and and why you've chosen each person? Uh, sh- sure. Well, uh, Rudresh, I met uh, Rudresh Mahanto, is a saxophone player, of course. You probably know him. Um, I met him, <clears throat> I think, when he first moved to town. Someone. Uh, told him to call me because we had mutual friends in Chicago, and uh, you know we had a session we played. It was fun to talk, and you know there was nothing, you know, like uh, about India. You know, oh, you're in Indian music. I'm a, I'm in Indian music, and I'm an Indian as well. You know, this kind of nothing of that stuff. It was just like, oh yeah, how's the New York scene? Yeah, jazz, jazz. You know, it was, it was all about the jazz music. So we would bump into each other every so often, and I saw his stuff coming up, and I, I would listen to his records and. And whatnot, or someone would say, "Hey, check this out." So these, this, this is the kind of thing that happened. And uh, eventually, um, we started playing a lot more. Actually, a lot more when he formed these two projects together, the, in, uh, the Indo Pak Coalition. Uh, at, the, at a similar time, he also formed the Kinsmen together. We ended up playing a lot more based on those projects. And then I had my projects, and I started hearing him a lot more on that. So. You know that's the sort of the way that came about, and uh, we're continuing to to play and see what happens in the future. We we have our own projects as well. He's got so many of them himself. <laughs> uh, and and Vijay, of course, because sort of because of Rudresh, uh, you know, the, Vijay's on his records, and and Rudresh uh, is on Vijay's records. So I would hear them simultaneously together, and uh, and I thought it would it made a, they made a great pair. And I saw him at uh, SOB's uh, once do a duet, and I was impressed by the compositional content of it. Uh, and so I thought, wow, okay, these guys are on a you know a different path than I am, but it's 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 similar enough that it's this modern music is what I feel. Uh, so that's the way, and I just I just love Vijay's playing, you know. So there's, there's, that's that's basically that. Um, uh, and Dan, I've 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 heard about for a while. We started playing about six years ago when I did my first recording, Snake Charmer. Uh, we were playing in a couple other little groups before that, but then I thought he would be really good to, you know, have and, and sort of merit this project of. Uh, at the time, I had an organ trio 
with Kieran singing with us. So it was, it was Gary Versace and, and Dan and myself, and Kieran would would sing uh, melodies and, and improvise over that. So I just thought Dan was would be perfect for that, and he was. Uh, and so I continued to use him on this this, this project. Um, Johannes uh, Weidenmuller is uh, the bass player. Uh, he's actually been to India and studied percussion for a, a, it's only it was only a month, but still, for someone to go out to India and actually kind of push themselves into that environment and just shed, let's say, the the, the rhythms of, of South India, I was impressed with that, and I heard about that years ago. And then also, uh, Dave Pietro is a saxophone player. Uh, we played on his uh, last recording called the Chakra Suite. And uh, that was great as well. That was a good experience with Johannes. So, you know, and, and then Kieran is my wife. <laughs> and she's one of the only, for me, the only respectable Indian uh, vocalists uh, in, in New York that I know of. Um, there's a couple more, but uh, she's one of them for sure. And that's basically the foundation of the band. kind of look over your last uh, several records uh, leading up to this one do you see uh, are, are there patterns emerging or kind of a course that you're following is there something you're going for in your compositions that you see yourself moving toward or are you more kind of exploring uh, different different colors on the palette with each with each recording well well both uh, I mean what I like in, in, in music in general is a balance between uh, thought and, and, and feeling you know uh if if it becomes too thought oriented, gratuitous, gratuitously, or the say vice versa, too too feel goody. <laughs> if that's a word, I mean that's a phrase. Feel it is good. now. I like Muse. it. Yeah, uh, either side. If it plunges on either side, I, I get a little lost. I'm, I'm like, hmm. Uh, rarely can it. You know, is there some music that that is just all about feel? Like, well, obviously James Brown is mostly about feel, but there's a lot of complexity in his music. So. That fulfills my whole desire of listening to music right there, or Stevie Wonder, or any of these 
um, or Bella Bartox orchestral music on the sort of on the other side. Uh, so all that works for me. Um, if I can sort of find a balance between that, those two, uh, you know, poles, then I think that's that's where I, I, I like it to end up. That's the first and foremost uh, concept that I have in the music. After that, it's sort of like, uh, like I said earlier, I really rely, uh, and even more so now, on you know my intuition and and, and things that are are not as uh, conscious oriented uh, or upfront in my in my mind. I know that sounds funny, but it's sort of like I'm trying to change my writing processes also, so I can actually write from a different part of my mind. Uh, well, a more intuitive part of my mind. How, how are you doing that? How are you changing um, the process? Well, uh, that's definitely a good question. I mean, um, the the one thing I've done is to try to make it less guitar-oriented. Uh, the guitar for me has, you know, 30-something, excuse me, I won't uh, give, away, give away my age, but it has 30-something-odd years of, of me uh, prying into it and figuring out ideas, and it's just history. There's a lot of history in the guitar, uh, and if I can get away from the guitar and write on something different, uh, unfortunately I don't play piano well enough. But I've I've sort of been writing uh, on on like computer softwares like uh, you know um, Finale or something, and they just help me to sort of graphic see a graphic of, of what I'm writing. And uh, I work with uh, just the different elements within the music that way. I don't have to be tied to this physical entity which has all this history. So that's that's the first step. I mean, of course, I do get some help from the guitar, and then I'll, I'll plug it into the computer. And like, let's say I do a phrase on the guitar that I like, and then I, I'll put it into the computer so I can sort of work with it from there. So it becomes sort of a sculpting process <clears throat> uh, as much as as a manipulation of, of the music, you know. When you're writing away from the guitar, do you sometimes write things that you then find don't actually move on to the guitar? You end up giving them to another player in the ensemble or, or you, you alter the writing for the instrument that you play. Do you sometimes write things when you're not when your fingers aren't doing the writing? Do you find that you're freer in that? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely find that I'm freer. Um, of course, you know, the guitar is a very pattern-oriented instrument. Uh, you know, maybe it's different on the saxophone, maybe it's different on, on some instruments, but guitar is very pattern-oriented, and, you know, I've spent, and any guitar player who can actually play the instrument has spent, uh, you know, thousands of hours just trying to get these, like, let's say, for example, arpeggios or, or scales or some multiple fingerings. You know, we ha- you have to get past that on the guitar, or else it's, it's just a huge instrument to, to, you know, it will take you over, in other words. <laughs> in the middle of a solo, you'll realize, oops, I'm lost, you know, because you don't know where that fingering is, so to speak. So, um, yeah, so once I get rid of, you know, once I put the guitar in the case, uh, then I, I have nothing to, to to hold me back. It's just my imagination, and that's where the intuition sort of comes in. Um, and oh boy, this 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 record, things to come, was was all about intuition, and where I, you know, where I heard the music sort of spontaneously go, and I would, I would, you know, break up the, the form differently, and I could try it on the spot, and you know, it's sort of technology is helping me a lot in terms of my compositional ability as well, uh, especially to go in a different part of my mind. I'm very much into psychology, too, but 
that's uh, that's kind of why I'm thinking like that, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, when you were writing the music for Things to Come, did you uh, did you find yourself kind of writing blocks of it that you would then kind of take apart and rearrange and and see how they fit together better? I mean, is that uh, an accurate uh, description? Or? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's one. That's one way. I mean, uh, it took me many rewrites. Uh, you know, I mean, just because you have this sort of computer in front of you helping you. Or the software, whatever, it's not going to write itself. I mean, you still have to do all the writing. But uh, the, the good thing is, it sort of just, like I said, lived outside of the guitar. Excuse me, getting over cold here. Uh, but uh, I, I definitely was able to come back to it and, and manipulate ideas and, uh, you know, make a lot of, of variations and sort of just let it live there for, let's say, three months. And then I would come back to it and, and rekindle it and, and be able to hear it. Again, whereas on the guitar, I would, I would probably have to physically play it again. You know what I mean? Sort of relearn the part before I can rekindle one of these compositions. So, <laughs> over uh, a span of you know a year or something, or even more, I guess maybe, uh, this is what I did. And you know, one thing that actually helped me a lot. It's, it's interesting enough is, is I was reading this uh, uh, biography of Beethoven, and it was it was a beautiful thing to have sort of nourish my compositional abilities. Uh, because just see what a master like that went through sort of on a daily basis. Um, it made me realize I have no excuse to stop composing or, or to, to, to give up on this composition, so to speak. Um, so I would begin creating variations and think, okay, well, you look, Beethoven, you know, wrote so many variations on this piece. What am I, you know, I'm not going to throw this piece away. Let me, I like what's there. Let me, uh, you know, it kind of helped me just keep going. sounds like um, a combination of kind of a, an inspirational and craft approach to working on the music. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think the best, well, my, my best compositions are, are uh, a balance of both of those. I mean, you have to work with the craft, there's no doubt. You have to sit there paying your dues and sweating it away. But if the inspiration is not there, boy, it's, it's just climbing a complete hill. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, so, so that was in this in this process that Beethoven book really inspired me to keep moving on i i definitely encourage anybody to 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 read something like that while they're com- trying to compose a, you know record with the music or even just one composition for that matter and res where does the improvisational element fit into this for example when you took these compositions into the studio uh, to make the record how much are there varying amounts of space in each tune um how does how does that work how do you fit in the bits that you don't plan 
there there are various uh, uh, spaces that you you know you incorporate in the music, knowing it's a jazz group. Um, so that happens. But one of the things I want I didn't want to do actually is just write a composition or simply write a tune and then have everybody you know sort of solo on top of that composition. I I really wanted it to be a through composed piece, even for the solos. In other words, you know. You have you have the, the letter A, you have letter B, um, but the, the the first soloist is going to solo on on something that kind of stems out of letter A, let's say, and then, this, and then there's a transition, and the second soloist doesn't solo on the same material. There's a whole another you know sort of uh, landscape that he can solo on that triggers the band into a different direction. I really wanted to to, to do that as much as I could. Um, you know, some some compositions don't call for that as much as others, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it's only because often I I hear records uh, in, in the jazz world that that sort of they, they you know the band plays a good melody or great melody, and then everybody kind of solos on the same thing, and uh, I, I kind of wanted this to just keep moving forward. So these sound uh, they sound more like continuing narratives rather than small fragments yeah, that repeat. Yeah, mini mini narratives. Uh, so actually, within one composition, there's a lot of stuff written. That, that's that's another thing that happens. I mean, a composition is actually elongated, so so it becomes like you know uh, maybe sometimes three compositions within one. Oh, and that, in many ways, that was what was behind my question because the on this record, it is sometimes difficult to figure out which bits are composed and which bits aren't, not because the composed pieces sound random, but because there's there's a lot of structure moving through the entire thing, and everyone is kind of fitting very seamlessly into the structure. It's, uh, it is well, definitely a different approach than the head solo head. Yeah, and the head solo head thing is, uh, is equally as, I mean, equally as challenging. It's just different. Um, I love the head solo head thing, too, but that's, that's we've heard, you know, thousands of records like that, so... I wanted to just simply take advantage of, of of composition as a whole, and and I think what you just said was 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 correct, and I appreciate you hear it like that because that's that's a great uh, compliment actually. I watched your uh, from the comfort of my couch here in Albany. I watched your live show uh, at Smalls the other night. Oh, I saw uh, that on the tweet. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> Twitter. Hey, I love technology because uh, <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't have been able to see that. But uh, <coughs> yeah, I, I wonder. Um, for you, when you're in when you're in live spaces like that, what effect does that have on this music that has so much kind of compositional integrity? Is it easy to to keep that intact when you're in front of a crowd? I mean, we do play the composition, so in, in, in other words, that will keep it intact in, in itself. But uh, it's it's you know it sometimes becomes a lot looser. Uh, oh, and that sometimes often becomes a lot looser um, in. in in live performance, and that's kind of the way I want it. I mean, the solos end up being, a, you know, quite a bit longer, um, and the band interacts differently. Maybe not everybody makes the the correct move or the right hit, which is okay because it's already recorded now, and you know, there's, there's, it's nice to let it grow in its own way. Um, you know, the music is sort of almost uh, it's a whole in itself instead of like. Instead of separate people playing the music, it just it just moves on itself, you know.
That's guitarist Rez Abbasi from his album Things to Come on Sunnyside Records. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can find it at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, just type in Jazz Session into the search box, and you'll find a group for the show. I give away music in both those places. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. This show is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.